1340. WTAN. Hi, this is Tim Del Toro. And I'm Lou Angel Wolf, and we are the Grease Gurus. Our show is broadcast every Saturday morning live at WTAN 10 Talk Radio 1340. That's 10 o'clock every Saturday morning for an automotive forum that is flavored with humor and insight. We encourage you to call in and be part of the Grease Gurus show. We'd love to have you, and we will certainly help you find your inner grease. This show is sponsored by Tim's Performance Service Center and beautiful Tarpon Springs at 906 Verona Place. And you can reach us personally at 727-543-1601. Aha. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. What I'll do is we'll do a I'll do I'll do like we're gonna because this is a free interview basically this is actually we're gonna pre-tape for the show so what we'll do is I'll okay. start the, sh- the intro as if we were doing the real live show very good you guys are on cue tonight all right that's off so I don't have to worry about that all right that's patched out should we do the uh, yeah we'll do the interview first and then we'll do the um so this will probably go 30 40 minutes all right no problem and then uh, we'll wind up and then we'll do the same thing we'll get the liner the promo afterwards I bet you they're listening like the last time. Oh, like with Edsel Ford when he was listening? Yeah, yeah. when Edsel Ford was listening. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. That was good. See, that's why I always tell you, you got to watch what you say. Tonight on Nostalgic Cars and Radios, it's oh. Courtney Hansen. No, it's Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Oh, yeah, that's right. Is she there? I think she's there. Hello? Hello. There she is. Um, no, she had another call. Yeah. I need to call her back in a minute. Oh, that's fine. We're okay. So, sorry, guys. That's okay. That's okay. We'll, we okay. have ways to amuse ourselves here at the studio. Inter- interview her. Interview. Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself there, Samantha. You have a very <laughs> okay, pretty name. I, I sent that in the email because I love that name, Samantha. Oh, thank you. Um, really quickly, I'm talking to Robert, and who else? Uh, this is Billy. Okay, hi, Billy. Oh, hi. How you doing, Samantha? Formal introduction. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, Billy is uh, the, I guess you could say, Billy, what are you, producer, engineer kind of guy? Producer, 100% disabled veteran, entertainer, <laughs> watching TV. What are you people? On dope? And we have a fresh supply of Ted Nugent for bumper stickers. <laughs> Ted Nugent for President bumper stickers. Give us a big <laughs> like that. I guess that's how they do that. Something like that. Well, I have dogs, and my wife has bees and <laughs> sheep and chickens, and uh, we have a small farm. And remember, always have your Nugent spayed and neutered. <laughs> spayed and Nugent. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure about that one. Anyway, hey. Billy, do you want to go ahead and roll the music in a little bit, or do you want to, you want to dub that in afterwards? We will dub that in afterwards. All right, then what I'll do is I'll just go back to, like, I'll pick up where I left off, and I'll just say... Thank you, and duh. Okay, don't Anytime. go away. Don't go away. We're going to get a promo from you real quick. That, that's that. That's, uh, yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm impressed. Hang on a second. My phone's in my ear. Hey, stay tuned for... I screwed that up. We can edit that out. Hey, now, and have mercy. This is Billy F. Gibbons from ZZ Top, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. And run your computers at Google, tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios 
in downtown Clearwater. And don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past 390, I know exactly how many they are now, 390 shows, be sure to check out our archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Good evening, Tommy. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Robert. How are you doing? Pretty good. So uh, I just rolled into town or flew into town this morning. I was supposed to be back last night, but uh, somehow I just, uh, on occasion, on occasion, you know, I just get sidetracked and I uh, miss my flight. And, it's, you know, it's not like the old days, you know, when you used to go to the airport and let's say you're flying American Airlines or United or something like that, you know, they'd book you on another flight. Nowadays, you know, <laughs> they don't care. You're just, uh, you know, you're just... Uh, you're a commodity, basically. And what people don't really realize, you know, is the bulk of the money that airlines make is what's down below in the cargo hole. So you, the, let's just say, basically, cannon fodder is flying on the top deck there, so to speak, where all the seats are. You're just a bonus for the airline. So they don't really care. They try to make you a little comfortable, but that's it. Spack, I think I should talk about airlines, okay? So I'm not really happy with any of them. They're all about the same. I mean, you know, the cut rate, they're cheap, they're cheesy, they're chintzy, they don't give you anything. But the two worst airlines, and I'm going to say this, is Frontier and Spirit. Those, they, they stink, okay? I mean, you almost have to pay for a bottle of water. I have never been so uncomfortable in my life. I flew these when I went out to, uh, I think, um, where was it? Oh, SEMA. And the airlines just, I mean, the seats were like city buses, worse than a school bus. I mean, they were upright, they didn't move, they were stationary. It was terrible. And they had no padding. It's ridiculous. And the lady comes to me, there was sort of, oh, excuse me, the flight attendant. And uh, she says, uh, well, they're ergonomically designed. I said, Recaro seats are ergonomically designed. These are not ergonomically designed, okay, my dear. And uh, But anyway, so the flight we had uh, on the way out to uh, Scottsdale, because that's where I was last week, ladies and gentlemen, sports fan, car guys, and everybody. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Was not a bad flight out. It was a direct flight, so I got lucky, and I wanted to do that once. And that's basically like a five just under five-hour flight because you're going into a headwind. You get a tailwind when you come back this way because of the westerlies. And uh, so it's about four hours on the way back. But uh, So on the way out, the plane wasn't so bad. It was an airline, what was it, American, and it was a 737, and it was so-so. On the way back, we had um, a 737, but it had a little bit more comfy seats. Now, some of the airlines actually have these really cool seats, and they kind of recline and slide a little bit. Those aren't so bad. So, if you, you know, what else are you going to do on the plane? Unless you got somebody there you can – you know, jaw jack with for three, four hours. Uh, most of the time, the best thing to do is just sleep. Or if they got movies and music and stuff like that, you know, got to find a way to entertain yourself. But generally, I take midnight flights out and uh, midnight flights back, just so I, or red eye flights out, red eye flights back, so I can spend most of the time at my destination, at my location, which is what we try to do. So, anyway, all right, so last week was Scottsdale Collector Car Week. And, uh, Pretty, pretty exciting. And again, I got to tell everybody, you've got to put Scottsdale Barrett Jackson on your list. That is the auction of auctions. And they're all cool. Don't get me wrong. Gooding's great. Bonham's great. Got a great selection of cars. A lot of fun. A lot of people there. But as far as an overall show, entertainment, and an experience, and that's what I got to tell you, Barrett Jackson truly is an experience because the people that are there, the excitement that the place builds, the vendors, um, the cars, and it's all about the cars. Absolutely incredible. And I've been going to Barrett Jackson in Scottsdale, Arizona since probably the late 80s on and off and uh, consistently consistently for the last um, few years. And uh, I got to tell you, I look forward to it every year. Now, the Miami show's good. I've never been to Las Vegas. I know that's okay. And they have their new one up in, uh, I think it's New England someplace, Connecticut or someplace like that at a, on a casino. And But nothing, nothing can replicate uh, Bear Jackson in Scottsdale, Arizona. Now, week before that, we had Meekums in Kissimmee. Now, they had 3,000 cars, three thousand, actually over 3,000 cars. The whole week that I was at Scottsdale, I don't think we had 3,000 cars. Uh, Russo had 700. Barrett had, well, maybe just a hair over 300, but let's just, or 3,000. But Barrett had uh, 1,700. Russo had 700. Bonhams, I think, had a little over 100. A RM had a little over 100, and Gooding, I think, had a, maybe over 100. So that's, let's say, you know, three, three and a half, 400 on the best day between those. So 7 and 17 is, is uh, what, 24 plus 4. So really not even 3,000 cars, okay? So the total for the week of Scottsdale, Arizona, because of the money cars that were out there, 
many of them in the millions, many, many cars in the millions, was somewhere around 290-some-odd millions. Barrett-Jackson alone did over $100 million, I believe. And uh, so you factor in the other three auctions, like Bonham's, Gooding, and RM, they have, uh, you know, the big cars, I mean, the big money cars, the multi-million dollar cars. I mean, one Ferrari sold for $7.3 million. But now let's talk a little bit about the market. And, uh, oh, yeah, Worldwide was out there, too. And Worldwide sold a, a number of really cool cars. And um, actually, it was kind of really cool. I was actually out there, and I was walking through there, and I ran into one of my friends. And uh, some people were looking at a 67 Shelby GT350 uh, car and uh, Fastback. And it was factory Brittany Blue, 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 Brittany Blue. It was a uh, four-speed car. It was a factory AC car as well. It was a factory outboard headlight car. It was a late production car. And it was a, uh, let's see, it had the Z scratch in this VIN number. Now, the jury's still out on what that exactly means. Some people say that they put it on some of the cars that had outboard. Some people say they had put it on some of the cars that had the uh radio interference wire mesh underneath the hood mm, nobody really knows for sure because there's really no rhyme or reason and some people say they just put it in there so you know as a uh, inspection mark but we're not quite sure about that either so at any rate so here's this car and some people were looking at it and these people happen to be from alaska of all places so the friend of mine that was working there blake and his father deals in classic and antique cars out of uh, South Florida. So when I say South Florida, Sarasota. And it's vintage motors out of Sarasota. they got a great selection of cars, really cool guys. I like working with them. I've done some stuff with them over the years, and they're nice people. Well, Blake now, the young son, is 21 years old. And I've got to tell you, and I was gonna, I probably should have had him on the show, but I'm going to do a special show with him because I wanted to, I actually kind of wanted to just reserve this show as an open show just so I can kind of bring everybody up to speed on some of the stuff that we've been doing and talk a little bit about cars. Because generally when I have a guest on the show, you know, it's all about the guests. So if you tuned in last week, for example, we had Jay Leno on. The week before that, I think we had uh, Drew Alcazar on. The week before that, Christy Lee. The week before that, um, Dave Kindig. So at any rate, when I looked at the car, um, I just walked past it, and then these people were really interested in the car. So Blake pointed me out and said, hey, talk to Robert because he's, uh, you know, he's he knows a lot about Shelby's and Mustangs. And just so happens I do, and I've owned a number of them over the years, and I'm – one of the state reps for the Shelby American Club, so which is SAC, Shelby American Automobile Club, S-A-A-C. And uh, good chance to go check out our website. Pretty cool. And the next meeting, by the way, for all you Shelby guys, is, this year the convention is out in California. It's at Sonoma Raceway, and that'll be, I believe, in August. And I think it's a week or two before Monterey. So with a little luck, we might be able to make that and try to kill two birds with one stone. It's also the week before or after uh, Speed Week, which is at Salt Lake Flats. Salt Lake, Bonneville, blah, 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 Bonneville Salt Flats. Anyway, so uh, the gentleman that was interested in the car and his two sons came up to me, and they started talking a little bit, and they said they were interested in the car. So I filled their little heads full of information, what I knew. Now, the car was represented as a number one car, I believe. I didn't really look at that too much because I don't pay much attention to that. Sometimes I just look at the car and kind of go on my way. Nonetheless, they asked me um, what I thought, and then the conversation led to this. Hey, if we are serious about this car, would you be interested in doing a— pre-purchase inspection on the car and i said well yeah we could probably do that but i can't drive it and i can't get it up in the air so he said well can you crawl around it and do whatever you do and then let me know yeah so i was hired on the spot to do a pre-purchase inspection it's very unusual to do that because usually you, you uh, set that up with people but uh since i'm kind of a spot-on spontaneous kind of guy sometimes uh i was rare and ready and up for the task so what I did basically is I took on the duties and I crawled all over that car. I was underneath it. I was picking away at it. I had a flashlight. I was making notes. And then the final analysis, the estimate on the car was between one, I'm going to say 110 to 130, okay? For a 289 four-barrel car, which is what all small block 65, 6, and 7 Shelbys were, okay, that's cool. For a four-speed car, because some were automatics, that's a, a four-speed is a 25% bonus right there. If you've got a factory four-speed car and an air car, because most air cars were automatics, you get another bonus. He had a very desirable color, which was Brittany Blue. It's very pretty. It's a light metallic blue. They've actually brought that color out again, I think, on some of the new Mustang, but it's not called Brittany Blue. The car was had black interior. The car had a fairly original-looking interior, but the body had done, you know, had been painted and fixed up a few times. Now, again, you're just looking at the car. But like I tell some of my customers when I do appraisals, I can walk around the car ten times and each time, find something different. You don't see everything the first time. 
And that's honest. You just don't, you know. Some of the things that I noticed about the car had a little, few little dents and wrinkles in it, so I know that they fixed it here in the quarter. It was popped in, and I'm looking for seams. I'm looking for weld spots. You look for spot welds. You look for numbers that are stamped into the sheet metal, which are basically shift codes and stuff like that. And you look for, you know, if the, if, the, if you can look at the engine, you know, look for numbers. Well, on a Shelby and a 289 Hypo motor, particularly 65, 66, 67 only because that's the only years they were available, they've got uh, there's certain nuances. There are certain little features about the car. For example, on the cylinder heads, there's markings. You can see those. If they're there, you can tell whether you have an original set of 289 Hypo heads. The block, obviously, you look at the harmonic balancer because the 289s have a big, fat, giant harmonic balancer. It looks like a big block uh, Ford, for example. The numbers are generally on a Shelby. They're stamped on the pan rails, which is right above the pan on the bottom of the block and where the pan and the block meet right there. This car did not have the original motor in it because we could not verify the numbers and uh, a speculation that it had a correct 289 hypo in it, judging by the harmonic balancer. Okay. A 289 hypo motor is externally balanced. It's got a different counterweight on the front and it's got a different flywheel on the back. Okay. Can't verify that. But I can see that the top end was different. So the heads are wrong. The intake was an aftermarket intake, but it was a Shelby intake, and it was Shelby lettered. So it was a reproduction Shelby intake. And the carburetor was a 3259, which is a Le Mans-style carburetor, but it was basically a reproduction with a late model date code, so like a 90s date code on it, which was incorrect for the car. The overall body was straight. The sheet metal was pretty decent, and I would have to say that it looked like it was original sheet metal. However... There was again, you know, little places where I could see that uh, it wasn't referenced in this in the in the uh, in the uh, catalog that it had had floors replaced in it, and it didn't have. Uh, there was no mention whether it was painted ten times or one time or three times or whatever. But it was what they call a sympathetic restoration. A sympathetic restoration basically means cosmetics. That's uh, the politically correct way of saying that. Tommy, did we have an important phone call, or was it just somebody calling to find out? And uh, Okay, good. So I saw the phone ring, and I was thinking about opening up the phone line. So what I might do real quick, if somebody does want to call in. Giving out any prizes tonight? No, we got no prizes tonight. Nothing. No. we have, friend Rob called. Then Rob. <laughs> Radio Rob, how you doing? And uh, we'll see what we come. We'll see, we'll see how I do here. Once I, We'll see how my gabbing goes, and maybe we'll play a little Neil Diamond for him a little bit later in the show or something like that because he wanted to hear something from Neil Diamond. But... Uh, back to the Shelby real quick. Um, some of the things I saw, you know, the paint worked. There was overlaps. There was uh, paint seams. In other words, when you paint a car and you tape it off, buff the tape lines out, okay? Because otherwise it's so obvious. They left off little pieces of trim. There was literally screw holes in the inside of the wheel well arches where they had wheel lip moldings on it. Come on, weld it up, close it up, or leave the wheel well moldings on there, one of the two. You know, just things like that. So after I spent a couple hours going over the car, I gave him a a – in note for formation, things that I saw that the car either needed, lacking, or was incorrect on the car. And, of course, I did reference that the floorboards were replaced. You look for pinch well. You check out the pinch wells. You look for seams. Um, for example, on a 60s – and back in those, those days, they did not use seam sealer to the extent that they use it today. I mean, there was sound deadening material, which they put – where there was, let's say, certain pieces of metal were overlapped or whatever, and to hide, uh, the, to, to, to camouflage the squeaking and stuff like that. But it really wasn't, you know, seam sealer in in all the joint areas like to do, it, let's say, like on a German BMW or a Porsche or something like that. Now there was one area on this car where they did that. Who knows? It was probably hide a few sins. But for the most part, it was a good car. So I rated the car as the number three. I I told him I said off the top of my head, just what I see these cars selling for, I'm going to say it's a seventy-five to eighty-five thousand dollar car. If you factor in it's a four-speed car with air, that drives the price up a little bit more. And you throw in the Brittany Blue, and you throw in the outboard headlights. Okay, so now you may be, let's say, 110. Now, in the business world, we have this term called blue sky. Blue sky means if you buy a guy's business, and his business does X number of dollars, and it's, let's say, 8 to 10 times earnings, but basically you're paying 12 to 15 times earnings. You're paying... An extra two to three times earnings for Blue Sky, assuming you're going to be able to do just as good as he did. But keep in mind, whenever you buy a business, for example, the people buy the management, the owner, and whoever's operating it because that's all part of it, and they do it. They have a they they have a rapport and relationship with their customers. Well, the same analogy would be emotions when you buy a car. Okay, so they'll say the car is worth 110. Okay, just what it is. 
it might go to 130. You might pay 150 for the car. If you really, really want that car and you absolutely have to have it and it's right here and it's there and you can touch it, feel it, sniff it, and it's four-speed, factory air, Britney Blue, outboard, Z-code, you know, all that stuff, and it's there. You know, it had this correct seatbelt harnesses in it, had the correct gauges in it. All the hard-to-come detail stuff was on the car. 67 is very unique because it's got a set of snubbers underneath the leaf springs. You need to any 67, only one-year only deal. It's the first thing you look for to make sure the car's not a rebody. This car had all those elements. So then I told him, I said, look, John, the car is a $110,000 car in my book. Okay, it's a number three car. It's not a number one car. It's not a number two car. It's a number. It's a strong number three. But if you really want the car and it puts a smile on your face and you're happy with it and you're here and you get caught up in the emotions, then by all means, if you pay more, pay the top end of the estimate, you got a good car. You're happy with it. That's all that matters. Okay, and that's what I told him. Well, sure enough, it comes auction time. The car goes on the block. It starts at 80, goes to 100 real quick, goes to 110, slows up between 110, 115, 120. And I'm kind of off to the side. So I watch the auctioneer, and the auctioneer is kind of pointing back and forth. And he hollers out, okay, John, you're out at uh, 115. Another guy's in. So I'm thinking, this is John. He's buying the car. I didn't see him because where I was sitting, I didn't really hit. There was a lot of people. All I could see really was the stage and a, and a whole bunch of heads. And uh, so then they're pointing some people in the back. And then the bidding kind of heated up again. Well, anyway, it hammered at 130. About that time, I'm going, wow, 130. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, I told the guy 110, so who knows? I don't know if he got it or not. And because uh, I know that I heard the, the auctioneer say, John, you're out. So about this time, the whole family stands up and they walk over, which is the two sons and the, and the father. They walk up and they said, we got it. And I said, well, congratulations. And I said, are you happy? And he says, yeah. And he says, this is exactly what he says. He says, I know you thought the car was worth about 110 maybe 115 on the high side, but we really wanted the car. My son wanted that car. And my son also told me during the, just before the car came up that he had a picture of a Brittany blue Shelby 67 on his wall in his room back in the day. So you know what? The father bought the car for the son and everybody's happy. And that's what it boils down to. And it's kind of like back in the day, you know, a lot of kids out of the eighties had, uh, you know, Lamborghini Countach's or they had uh, Miami vice, uh, um, uh, for our Testarossa up on their walls, stuff like that. But for a young kid to have a Shelby, that's pretty cool. And uh, so I was happy for him. So anyway, we remained in contact, and uh, I'm probably going to help him out with some other cars. And that's pretty much how it works, okay? So, But you got to know your cars. You got to be honest, and you got to be forthright on this kind of deal. And keep in mind, you really need – the bottom line is here's a good example. This is a good auction company. Worldwide is a good auction company, okay? But the people that you know sell these cars – there, and I know this from my own experiences working for auction companies. You have to put down in the description what the owner wants you to put down. You're, you're, you are consigning the car for them. You are repping the car for them. But he's telling you about the car. So this is why the disclaimer reads, as represented by the seller, which means, like in my case, a lot of times I knew there's a whole bunch of things wrong with the cars, but I could not alter that. So then it's up to the buyer, the buyer, to do his homework and his due diligence to make sure that what he's buying is what it really is in his mind, not what's in the description, not how it's represented, and not how it's on the block and how it appears. You need to look at the cars and check them out yourself. So on that note, I think, Tommy, we got something on the turntable, don't we? So we're going to play. I'll set this up for you when we come right back. But this is a little garage band music, okay? And I uh, hope you enjoy it. And you're tuning into Nostalgic Reading Cards. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. And don't forget to tell your friends every Tuesday night right here on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Everything he says, everything he says, he always says it twice.
listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. Hi, this is Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. All right, we're back, and it's uh, time to do the Florida Car Shows Minute. Now, let's see what's going on this week, and then we'll get back to the auction stuff. This week in uh, South Florida, the Cavalino. So if you're a huge Ferrari fan, this is uh, like the biggest event on the eastern seaboard with uh, for Ferrari people. And they've got the races at the Palm Beach International Raceway. they got the big... Concourse on Saturday at the Breakers Hotel. And if you're very fortunate and you can get the tickets, they have the special invite-only concourse at Mar-a-Lago. So that's that. Uh, Surf Expos this weekend, all weekend long. And uh, that's for all you guys that are into, eh, let's see, Surf Expo, how do you break that down? So if you're into water sports and uh, beach fashion and things of that nature, there's a big expo going on at the Orlando Convention Center. The Guitar Expo is in two weeks, which is at the uh, Orlando Fairgrounds for all you musicians, musician fans. And then also this weekend is the Daytona 24-hour race, if you can make it to that. So I'm not sure where I'm going to go. I'm going to go someplace. I'm going to be somewhere. And uh, it's this time of year when every weekend there's just car show, races, just all kinds of automotive stuff going on. And you know what? Take advantage of it because come summertime, you'll be boating and fishing. So, back to the auctions. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to bounce back to uh, Meekham's a few weeks ago. And, uh, there was again, there was a car there that I was looking at. And what I typically do is I look at cars. I make notes. And then uh, and I write the VIN numbers down. And I go to – because I used to write for Sports Car Market. And then I kind of track the cars and see if these cars have been on the market before. And that's one of the things that Sports Car Market does. Sports Car Market Magazine or American Car Collector. If uh, sports car markets for foreign cars and American car collectors for domestics, you know, and muscle cars and high rods and classics and things of that nature. And uh, so what happens is you start looking at these cars and after a while, like it, um, it's when you're at, for example, Meekham had 3,200 cars. RM, I mean, uh, Russo had 700 cars. Barrett had 1,700 cars. After a while, there's only so many Camaros, so many Mustangs, so many Chevelles, so many Roadrunners that you can really – so many 55 Chevrolets, 55 Thunderbirds, or 55, 6, and 7 Thunderbirds, and 55, 7, 6 um, cars. You can really look at because after a while, you know, keep in mind, these it's the auctions do are kind of a cool place to buy. It's like a one-stop shop. It's like a shopping center, you know, like a grocery store for cars. Okay, if they got a lot of cars. So there's a lot of variety there. So you're just basically walking up down the aisles and you're reaching on the shelf and you're grabbing something that you like. You're checking out. And if you don't, you know, if you don't like it, then you go to another flavor, let's say, for example. And uh, but there's a car there that I thought was kind of cool. And we did a video on it. And I may try to figure out how to edit it and put it up on my on my uh, website or my Facebook page. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Gulfstream Motorsports. Uh, follow us on Twitter at NRC on air. And I think we have an Instagram page, too, which is Gulfstream Motorsports. So there's one particular Camaro, and I was talking about it, and it was a really, really nice car. It was blue, blue interior, factory four-speed, RS front-end, 70Z28, one of my favorite Chevrolets, all right? Not my favorite car, but one of my favorite Chevrolets. On my list of cars, to, if I had to own one, it would be a 70 Chevrolet, Z28, second gen. I like those. And uh, 
Car was extremely original. Paint was checking. Door opened and closed well. Shut lines were good. Good gaps. Um, everything under the hood looked fairly correct. Nice, nice, nice car. The estimate on that car, an original car, factory 12 bolts, uh, 410 rear end underneath it, all the good stuff, was 80,000, 80, 75 to 90, I think. So 80 was the mid-range on the car. A week later, I saw that the car hammered, and I think the price, and it was a no-sale. It was a no-sale at, or maybe it was close to 100. It was a no-sale at, maybe that's what it was. It was a no-sale at 80. So that's just mind-blowing. That's just an absolute mind-blowing price because up until within the last year, you could buy a really nice 70 SS RS, I mean not SS, Z28 RS front-end car, four-speed. We're probably talking in the thirty-five dollars to $50,000 range for a driver and then a really, really good driver. So 80s pushing it. But this car was really unique. So where I'm going with this is that, you know, it's just like the Shelby. If the car's been repainted, now Shelby's a rare car, okay? But then so is a 70 Z28. You know, especially an SSRS car, factory four-speed, you know, with all the right stuff, an unmolested car. And that's kind of what you're looking at. You know, you look at the quality of the car. Original cars will bring a premium. And again, by comparison, uh, a car that's been redone, there's a lot of mysteries with the car. I encountered, I encountered that myself with the Shelby. You know, I looked at it. I know those cars fairly well, inside and out. And uh, there were some stickers. I got to tell you this story. This is kind of funny. There's stickers on the on the inside of the fiberglass, and it's made by Ontario Fiberglass, I guess, out of Ontario, Canada. I thought it was Ontario, California, but, and I know my 67 had one. Mine has an original one on it. And uh, so there's stickers are underneath the hood and underneath the deck lid. They're brand new. Okay, so, you know, it's like a lot of these cars, they got all these markings and stuff, and that's another deal for another show, because I'm going to have Kevin Marty come on the show one time, and we're going to talk about this, about the markings and the X's and the letters and the paint codes and all this, and the drippings and the markings, and which is highly confusing, you know, because... There's, a, there's another story behind all that. But at any rate, so then um, Saturday, there's a huge car show in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, off Indian Bend Road, and it's called it's at a shopping center called The Pavilion. And there's probably 1,000 to 1,500, maybe more cars that cycle through there on a 24-hour period, starting at midnight on Thursday, on Friday. And you won't get a parking spot. Now, fortunately, this year, the weather was kind of screwy, so there wasn't as many cars, but there was really, really uh, just a cool selection of cars. It's just amazing what's out there. I mean, it's just about as eclectic as you can possibly get. And uh, so the uh, I ran into this, the couple, the guys, the family that bought the 67 Shelby for me. They happened to be talking to some guy that had a dark blue, night mist blue 67 Shelby big block, four-speed car that had been in the garage since 1971. He wouldn't disclose what he paid for the car, but it was there. It didn't have the right motor and had a 427 tunnel port, but that's okay. That kind of trumps a 428 dual quad car. So we got this talking a little bit, and the one son comes up to me, Paul, and he says, hey, you know uh, you know that's, that uh, on fiberglass sticker? I said, yeah, there's a guy walking around here that reproduces them that was uh, handing them out or selling them. So for 10 bucks, the guy that had the Shelby bought two of them, and he was going to put them on his car. So... And I said they were repro, the ones that were on the other car. But it's just, what are the odds of, I'm looking at a car two days, three days earlier on a Wednesday, and it's got those stickers on it. And then here, three days later, we're at a car show, and this the the very same guy that apparently makes these stickers is handing them out or selling them. So I thought that was kind of peculiar. But anyway, so uh, that gentleman and I spoke uh, for for probably an hour or so just talking about Shelby stuff. And, uh, and then uh, Paul and John and his son had to leave and go to the airport. And fly back to wherever they were flying back to, which is probably Alaska or someplace like that. But anyway, so the Z28 was a pretty decent car. By comparison, let's use uh, Bonham's. Or no, got, uh, Gooding's auction. All right, Gooding had a 300 SL Mercedes Gullwing. And it was, let's just say, loaded with patina. Just scratched and dents and and tore up seats and stuff like that. Now, what the guy did, which was really cool, he left the car from the exterior standpoint Totally original. Didn't even touch it. It was unmolested. But the complete running gear, all the driveline, was all brand new. That car sold for $1.3 million. It hammered. Hammered. Now, plus the juice now. The juice is, let's just say, 10%. By comparison, a perfectly restored one, okay, with perfect seats, perfect exterior, everything sold for $1.3 million. Identical price. Now, the difference is, is that the car with the patina on it had one extra rare feature. 
it had factory Rudge wheels. So the Rudge wheels on a Porsche or on a Mercedes or on a BMW were knockoffs, which they had back in the day. Pinlock wheels or knockoffs, we call them. Okay, so they're center pinlocks, you know, threaded, like an MGB or a Jaguar or something like that. And uh, so, but the fact that the car from the outside, when you first walk past it, you go, oh, my God. And it was funny because I was standing there watching people walk by it, and, and some people were going, oh, my gosh, why would somebody bring a car like that here to the auction? Well, unless you read the details, knowing that the complete running gear was all redone, you didn't know. But by comparison, again, there was a 1957 Porsche, 56, 57 Porsche 356 there that was nice and ratty and original. And that car sold for 185 By comparison, a real nice one that was painted not 100% correct, not even near as original as this car, sold for 200 Now, that was, in both cases, in all three cases, the estimates on these cars, on the on the Mercedes, it was pretty close to what the estimate was. That one was top of the line. But the, but the Mercedes, three years ago, would have been a $1.8 million car because the very same car I saw sell at Goodings in Monterey, or in, uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, it was a black one with a red tear, but not a redone on mechanically okay but not redone like this one was it sold for 1.8 million so you can see how the market's backed up a little bit so when we talk about the market backing up somewhere around 20 to 25 percent that's probably what it's done on some high-end cars when you look at the cars that uh Meekum had now see some of the auctions the high-end auctions generally put an estimate on there the low-end auctions don't necessarily do that they won't even tell you what the reserve is okay It'll just say reserve or no reserve, and it's your, it's up to you to kind of guess. So you really have to do your due diligence, and you really have to go out there, and you really have to look at these cars and check them out. And uh, and if you don't, mm, that's a boo-boo. It's no different than if you go buy a car from a private owner. The only difference is when you're at an auction, you got to make a moment's decision. You're looking at the car, so you can only do a physical hands-on inspection. You can't check it out mechanically. And you hope that when it rolls up on the block or somewhere along there, you can get somebody to come over. If you get there early enough, you can probably get somebody to start the car for you. But, you know, other than that, you can't drive it. And when you drive a car, that's a telltale sign. So you really have to get there early, look at the cars, check them all out, and then uh, do your due diligence. Other than that, you're still buying, you know, eh. A pig and a poke? Nah. Crapshoot? Nah. But you don't know exactly what you're buying. You might be getting a good car and you might not be. So, Tommy, what else we got on the turntable? I think it's time for some more music. Now, well, let me just set this up for you a little bit here because Tommy's going to turn this on. But when I travel and uh, once in a while I get a rental car with a satellite station or satellite radio, I always tune into Channel 21, which is garage band music. And I, it's just this old classic nostalgic stuff. But the garage-style music, 60s, 70s music, is actually going there's, – there's bands today still producing and making that kind of music. So that's kind of the genre that I like, the era of music I like, and that's what we got right now. What's the, what's the title on this one? Your satelliters. The satelliters. Okay. Gotta hurt me. Gotta hurt me. Oh yeah. Hey, don't touch that dial. You tune into Nostalgic Radio Cars, and we'll be right back with some more car stuff. Neil Young, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Thank you, Neil Young. He was at SEMA a few years ago, and uh, with a little luck, we'll have him on the show this year. So, uh, so we're talking about cars, we're talking about auctions, and I'm trying to kind of give you guys a little ins and outs. And, like, you know, if you tune in the show on a regular basis and you listen to all the guests that we have on the show, regardless of whether it's Wayne Carini or Jay Leno or anybody like that, 
Bottom line is, Bible puts a smile on your face because if the world ends tomorrow and you had to walk out to your garage and uh, collect the remains, at least you have a car there you like. Speaking of remains, the first thing I did was uh, I, I couldn't. I don't think I was off the plane more than thirty minutes, and I had to go junkyard. And so there's since I've been going to Scottsdale and Phoenix area for so many years, I know a lot of people, and I know there's a lot of stuff stashed, cars and parts. So, and uh, as most of you know, we have a little '74 MGB GT that's Miss Money Penny, and she's like our little promotional car. And we're always looking to kind of jazz her up a little bit, and you know, keep her kind of cool and period looking. Well, one of the things I've been looking for for a long time was an old vintage Cal Custom style. I'm only using Cal Custom as an example because so you can guys get a visual on it. But an old Finned aluminum valve cover. But not one that says MG on it, just a no-name type blank one. Well, sure enough, I was over, at, believe it or not, there was a Glenn's MGs in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, or in Phoenix. And just like we have Glenn's MGs down here in St. Pete, good friend of mine. So if you need your MG worked on, be sure and take it to old Glenn down there. Mentioned nostalgic radio cars. And uh, sure enough, I was rummaging through his pile of stuff. Now, he's got a couple of MGCs in there. MGCs are six-cylinder MGBs. And he's got two MGC GTs in there, which are cool. So he restores them and he builds them, and he's got all kinds of stuff laying around. So last year, he wouldn't sell me anything. And this happens. You know, a lot of times guys are kind of, well, you know, I got these little cars. I don't know you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, you're going to sell it and make money. No, not necessarily. On the rare stuff, I keep it, and I have a home for it. And, uh, and, I, and and here's the thing about car guys. If you have something that's really, really rare and you're going to keep your car and the stuff's expensive, a true car guy will probably help you out. But if you sit there and you're going to get try to weasel something rare out of somebody and you're going to sell the car or throw it on eBay or something like that, that you, you, have, you might as well talk to Wall. There's not a chance. I used to have people come into my shop all the time. I'd have a rare intake or a rare part laying on the floor, and the guy goes, hey, I'm interested in that intake right there. What are you doing with it? What intake? Well, that intake right there, that Shelby one. What what Shelby intake? I don't see a Shelby intake. That's your imagination. There's nothing there. Well, what, I'm building a car, you know, and I need I could use that because I want to put that on a car. So when I sell it, I can get more money. I said, really? You would? Do you want to sit there and put a very rare intake that is one of maybe a thousand, and then you want to put it on a car and sell it? You're a fool. Don't even, you know. Now you might as well just uh, exit the door and don't let the door hit you on the way out because that's an absolute no-no to a real car collector kind of guy. So that won't work. Anyway, so really, really rare stuff belongs on really, really rare cars. If you're going to, you know, you know, pimp a car, basically, go get repo parts. That's why we have our good friends up there, National Parts Depot up in uh, Ocala. Buy all the repo parts you want from them. Go to Tony Brandon, buy all the repo parts, and uh, put them on your car and sell them and, you know, tell everybody it's original and, you know, and pay the consequences. How about that? Because true car guys, mm, we don't tolerate that kind of nonsense, okay? That's the difference. There's a difference between a car guy, a really car guy, real car guy, and uh, an enthusiast, and then, you know, just kind of like a, a lightweight, we call lightweight hobbyist or something like that, because they're not in it for the long haul. Uh, a lot of guys are. Now, speaking of guys in the cars for long hauls, when I was at Bonham's auction, there was a couple of really nice cars there, and uh, naturally, I gravitate to 356s and Porsches and stuff, but there was a really neat, um, uh, uh, I can't remember what it is now. There was a Pantera there. And I was checking out Pantera. It was a really, really nice car. It had 10-inch campies on the back of a beautiful car. And the Pantera market's taken off quite a bit. By contrast, there was kind of a real edgy one over at um, at Barrett. And the that car brought $46,000. The one at Bonham's blew past hundred. Okay, But it was a really nice original car. In both cases, both cars were 73 and newer cars. And 73 and new cars have the rubber bumpers on them. 71, 2. Cars have the small bumpers, but the ones that are most desirable and real collectible are the ones that have the push-button doors. So that's the really, really, really – technically they're 70s but, uh, because I think believe they came out in 70, but they hit the U.S. shores in uh, 71. Okay, so now I think there's only like maybe a few hundred of those cars. At any rate, the cars that are at uh, Bonhams, the presentation is very well. The quality of the cars is really good. The descriptions are good. So you can rest assured they're pretty decent. Goodings, as a rule, is the same way, and RMs naturally is, is also. Those are your three top auctions. Now, Worldwide and Russo and Lake Auction, they're all pretty much in the same uh, category. So they got a mixture of nice cars and decent cars. Uh, Kissimmee, or I should say Meekum. Meekum's got a, uh, a good mix of cars, depending on where he's at. Most of the time, his stuff is muscle cars and race cars and American stuff. Uh, when he goes to Monterey, because Monterey's a strong, strong foreign car market, he does uh, some foreign stuff out there. Now, I was at Bonham's, and I'm standing there talking with a bunch of people, and we always gather around, and you know how it is. It's kind of like a big social. That's what it's gotten to be. You know, It's like the cars are cool. Um, but we're beyond the cars. We just want to hang out and talk and, and talk car stuff, which is, which is a lot of fun. There was a guy that rolls in with this blue 
early turn of the century looking kind of car. We didn't think much of it at first. And he gets out and he's kind of, I'm going to say dressed almost in the period a little bit, right? Because he had a helmet on, the little leather strap helmet, the little goggles and the whole nine yards. So suddenly there's a kind of a crowd gathering around. And I go, okay, well, you know, it's uh, maybe some sort of a reproduction, look like a Bugatti from the, from the distance. I walked over and I started looking at it and I wasn't 100% sure until he popped the hood. When he popped the hood, here's this really cool valve cover, cast aluminum valve cover, and it said, Ettore Bugatti. Okay, and I go, wow. I said, uh, is this real? And I was really cautious the way I said that because I didn't want to offend the guy. And he says, yeah. And his name's Alan, and, uh, and it is a real car. And he found the car in Europe, and he'd been chasing the car for a long time. It is a 1913 Bugatti Type 22. And when Bugatti was a very, very innovative kind of guy. So if you think of innovative geniuses, you think of Tesla, Mr. Tesla himself. You think of Michelangelo. You think of Da Vinci. You know, people like that that were just like so far ahead of everybody else. It was amazing. Well, I got to talk to the guy, and we did a video on this thing. And he says, look, if you really appreciate this kind of stuff, you're welcome to come over to my house, and I'll show you some of the other pre-1900 cars that I have. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. I could not pass that offer up. I went over to his house, and when I went in there, it was a 19, I think, 7 Renault that he actually raced at Monterey at the Historics. There was a 1903 Mitchell. There was an 1890-something Dorea. There was uh, a 1912, 1913 Pierce, as in Pierce Arrow, Pierce Motorcycle, because most people don't know that they built bicycles, and then they built cars, and then they built motorcycles. And uh, just an amazing collection of nostalgia. He even had an old um, – he played it on a on – a, it was a, and it's like a wax record player. I don't want to call it a wax, but it's like a wax roll. It comes in a little box, and back in the day they had these – I'm looking at Tommy because I'm looking for some feedback here because I'm thinking Tommy knows the answers too. Um, but he played this little – it was kind of like a – it was like a an interview that they did with somebody that bought a car at the turn of the century and how they were comparing it to this mechanized coach, you know, because he used to horse-drawn uh, carriages back in the day. Well, anyway, after some discussions and I started looking around, this gentleman basically – and if you listened to our show the other day or a couple a month ago when we had Wayne Carini on – there's a lot of car guys. You know, we, we use the term today, man cave, okay? Technically, or realistically, it's a shrine. It's a shrine to ourselves. It's a shrine to our own collection of cars. This guy had some absolutely amazing collection of cars. And like Wayne said, like I've said a number of times, we don't really – it's not like we want to share this with everybody. We only want to – in a way you do, in a way you don't, but you only want to share it with people that really understand it and really appreciate it. Well, he took me for a ride in that 1913 – Bugatti Type 22. We went around for about 25 minutes. It was getting dark. The lights worked. The brake lights worked. We didn't have turn signals, but you had uh, you had uh, you made hand motions. I don't think that come thinking. I don't think it had brake lights. But I'm gonna. I, I did a video of the car as he's opening up the garage door, backing the car out. Now think about this. This has you have to pump the thing up for the oil. You have to pump the. It has no fuel pump. You pump the the canister on the side, and it creates pressure in the fuel tank, which pushes it forwards. And you have to do this while you're going down the road. It's got these little oilers that you touch. And if you guys are familiar with, like, Model Ts and stuff like that, you, you hit these little oilers, and they spritz oil on the bearings and, and the, all the reciprocating engine internal engine components so that it keeps them oiled. And you have to do this periodically as you're going down the road. But the fact that we were driving this 1913 Bugatti was incredible. And then afterwards, we drove around. We pulled in. It was getting dark, okay? We pulled in the garage. We sat there. He got out of the car, and he was talking to me, and I was sitting in the car the whole time. And I sat in the driver's seat. And I was only trying to imagine what would it be like in 1913 to have a car like this. Now, this is not like driving a Bugatti Veyron today or Koenigsegg or some other you know, unbelievable American supercar like a Ford GT or something like that. This is 1913 when you've got a state-of-the-art car that's capable of 85, 90 miles an hour back then. And, you know, it's the car weighs 1,100 pounds, and uh, the engine is 1,400 cc's inline four-cylinder, overhead cam, overhead cam, all right, multi-valve. You, it's just it's amazing. You just can't fathom that. So the technology has been around for 100 years, and we're ranting and raving about it today, but it's been around then. The only thing we've been able to do today is with uh, with uh, materials and with technology, we've been able to refine that and mass produce it. 
So here's this car, just incredible. Now think about it, 1913, there's still people running around with horses and carriages and horse-drawn carriages and things of that nature. You know, I mean, to have a car. And there was no road system. There was no infrastructure. So I was just totally enthralled. I was very, very grateful, very, very thankful. He's doing a special. He did a special with Jay Leno. So if you get a chance, I think it's in the next week or two, they're going to do a special with Alan and his 1913 Bugatti and him and Jay Leno, because Jay Leno also has some older cars as well like that, obviously. And uh, it's going to be a real exciting show. But the fact that I was able to participate in that and just enjoy that experience was absolutely incredible. And that's what a true car guy is. A true car guy says it doesn't matter whether it's 1898, 1893, or 1993, or 2003, or 2018. A true car guy appreciates all cars and understands them. The thing is that this car was so mechanical. You could see every detail. You could see how the brakes worked, the cables that operated the brakes. This is like a bicycle. You stop and think about it. I mean, it's all mechanical. And uh, it was just incredible. And those of us that understand mechanics, and you can visualize, you can see how everything works. It was, it was just incredible. I can't say enough about it. Now, I think I'm getting the, I'm getting the finger from uh, Tommy there. Actually, the two finger, and the, two <laughs> and. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed the show a little bit. I really wanted to kind of just take some time and talk about some of the other stuff. And I cannot overemphasize how important it is to go to some of these venues and really just walk up and talk to these people. And the one thing that I have to give Alan kudos for, he actually goes around and he takes his car to schools and shows people and illustrates people, you know, the, how – because you look at this 1913 car, you can see the evolution. You look at that car, you look at all the details, and if you understand cars, look at the car then and now look at how, where we're at today. It's just absolutely amazing. Hey, guys, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Tantalk Radio Network, for the most fascinating and legendary names in most... The most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports right here on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Our Instagram is Gulfstream Motorsports. Twitter, at NRC on air. Check out our website. Follow us on some of our uh, social media. And check our events page. And hopefully I'll see you guys at some of the car shows. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. See you right